Hours back, Chris O'Reilly, Brian Campion, and Alex Kulesh here, and we know finally the quarter finalists for the World Championship 2023: France versus Germany in Danzig or Gdansk, uh, Sweden, Egypt in Stockholm, Norway, Spain in Dan- also in Danzig in Poland, and Denmark versus Hungary in Stockholm. You Danzig, yeah. get out of here, get out of town. Yeah, I said that. Oh, do you want us to be cancelled? <laughs> no, I said that. I, I was just on the DHB or the oh, DHB uh, Instagram page, and I just saw it come up in German. And, oh, uh, it stuck in my head. Uh, oh God! But uh, it, it's funny you, you brought up all of those venues because there was some. There still is confusion about the semi-finals, right? It's pretty clear. Like they they've had it listed the whole time. It seems. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but uh, ever since like before, before the the championship even began, there was like, okay, if if Sweden qualify, their semifinals going to be in Stockholm. If Poland qualify, their semifinals going to be there. If they both qualify for the same f- semifinal, they'll figure it out. If only sweet, if nobody qualifies, semifinal one is in Poland. Semifinal two is in Sweden. No, but there was no way that Sweden were going to finish second, and Sweden were going to be playing in Poland. Like that—that's what you mean, no? It, no matter where Sweden finished, they were going to be playing in in uh, Stockholm. Anyway, there was some great handball, wasn't there? <laughs> 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 Who cares? Sweden are going to win. They're going to get to the semi-final anyway and be in Stockholm, so no one uh, needs to worry about that. <laughs> One thing that I do want to mention as well before we continue with the podcast is that we have loved all of the interaction that all of you great fans of handball have given us through the Patreon, through the Discord. Uh, thank you for your support. And coming to the end of this championship, we want as many people in to enjoy this beautiful little handball community that uh, is building on our Patreon. And to do that, we decided to open up a new tier called the Empty Net Club. So uh, if you don't want to pay uh, $6 for the 6-meter club and you don't want to pay the 9-meter club exclusive membership, you can join our Patreon by paying whatever you want. If you want, pay us $1,000. That would be great. But you can also go down to as little as 3 2 or $1. Whatever you're able to uh, contribute, you'll get access to all of the podcasts for the rest of the championship. Get access to our Discord server with a great little community. And onwards and onwards, we will be bringing you great content through the Patreon. And we hope you can join. It's France versus Germany. Sweden, Egypt, Norway, Spain, Denmark, Hungary, I think as Brian already alluded to. Where should we start? We had like three group finals and only one group where there was actually something uncertain about who was going to the quarterfinal uh, on the, the last day. And that was the, the group with uh, Sweden, Hungary and Portugal. Hungary made it, lads. How about that? We can now say there has been a huge shock in this competition. <laughs> they did it. 
And your your darlings, Brian Campion, Iceland, your hopes and dreams are put on this Icelandic team. And they have finished, I think, outside of even the Olympic qualifying tournament places. That's heartbreak. Yeah, no, that, that it really genuinely feels like a waste of a team. Um, <laughs> and I think it's surely going to be the end. I don't know if, if there's been any news about that, but surely it's going to be the end of... Of good months in the coach, I'd imagine. Just all the Icelandic people on Twitter, that's all they're talking about these days is how he just kind of seems to have squandered this opportunity with such a good team. Yeah, I mean, it was something we talked about that he wasn't really rotating that backcourt as much as he should have, maybe. And someone like Smarson maybe should have been playing a bit more in the early games. Um, ended up playing a lot because of the injury to uh, to Magnuson or to, to Palmerson. Um, and he's Took a while to get into that game as well. So I think maybe it's good to have some fresh legs that you maybe you might need later in the competition also. And then the Magnuson thing as well, that he was injured the whole time and still playing that much and now needs an operation. That's just, uh, yeah, that's bad, isn't it? And there is talk of Dagger Sigerson coming over after his contract with Japan finishes next year, which would make a lot of sense. But Iceland are out and it's hungry through instead of them, uh, but Hungary will face a Denmark team that looked absolutely incredible against Egypt in that group final. Uh, I really, I, I had this feeling that Egypt were going to do something. Egypt looked so confident in the whole competition, but Denmark came out and they they were never going to lose that game. It was a real, we're winners you're not on our level type of statement game. It was a classic Denmark demolition job that, you know, they've lured everyone into some kind of false sense of, oh, this team is fallible. You know, they're, they're having re- the USA game. Uh, the backup player is not really doing the job, but it's just a whole other level they can reach into when they, they come up in these matches. They don't always do it. They can... You know, we've seen them collapse in semi-finals, but there are there are certain times when they just click, and all the talk matters not one bit. Uh, this was a, a perfect example of that. Um, you know, Nicholas Landin, he just in games like that, particularly in the first half, I think it was forty percent. He just looks even bigger than he usually is, and it, it's so funny watching, like the when you when you see the replays of like the the camera behind the goal. And like shots coming in at him, he sh- he looks like some kind of giant who just like, oh, okay, I'll just put my arm here and then I'll slap it away. It looks it looks so nonchalant. And then we we've already kind of waxed lyrical about that backcourt trio of Giesel, Hansen, and Pitlick. Pitlick, man of the match today. Oh, I I, I gave I gave line of the night to Giesel because he's the OG. But it's just not fair that Denmark can have this incredible, unique superstar, Matthias Giesel, show up out of nowhere. And then they just clone him on the other side with a right hand and just have two of them. And Giesel, like, it's, it's just nonsense. The, the things they do. Do we need to divide Denmark into three? A team per island? <laughs> I think that'd be fair. Uh, they looked fantastic. They looked incredible. It was just like, it felt like the swell of an ocean and... Egypt were just like being taken out to sea and it was just like there was nothing they could do about it and yeah Gietzel he was really going for the jugular tonight 
uh, hey. after. So, oh, sorry about that, boys. Um, <laughs> no, but he did look incredible. I think Gidzel and Pitlick scored eight tonight each, which was which is a nice balance to show you how good their backcourt is. And Hansen with six in the middle. They think that Lauga comes off the bench, like as another option in the backcourt is just silly. For any other national team, maybe just in the starting lineup, I'd probably yeah crushing the it best and player came in and shot yeah. zero from three um so the evening it up a little bit giving egypt a chance but uh also also that i mean <laughs> i shared a news story from tv2 yesterday and, and they were saying oh it doesn't look like Lauga's going to be playing in this championship and then there he is walking off the bench the next day <laughs> <laughs> but but just just a little bit on that attack and it, especially that first half, Denmark were clinical. They, I think they missed about only two shots in the first half, but there was their speed of thought was at a, at a different level than I've ever seen because you're just not allowed to relax for just one second against this Danish team or else you'll just be beaten. There's plenty of times that this Egyptian defense, which is a really good, organized kind of spanish style defense that has you know they, they've performed at a really high level constantly full of big great defenders you, you know when defenders kind of start anticipating a move and they take half a step away from the player with the ball and maybe move their head slightly because you know that that pass is going to happen all Giesel and Pitlick need is that half a second, and they will just d- dive through that minuscule gap that opens up from a defender just relaxing for two seconds or not concentrating fully on a player for two seconds. And they're able to just dive through in no time, literally lightning fast through those gaps, and it's an open shot from six meters. And they just did that constantly. And it's scary because I don't know how you defend against something like that france have done it a little bit but i i, I don't really have a solution oh, let's hope that uh adrian Shiposh is doing his homework right now as he prepares <laughs> to face them in the quarterfinal uh, on wednesday it's a very good point you know and they and they get everyone involved as well there was a couple of goals that i really liked was even when they they pop the pass into saugstrup he realizes okay i'm not going to win this one-on-one battle here so i'm just going to keep the ball moving you know, it's like, you know, you draw in the defenders, they're they're ready to get out uh, like the line battle. No, he just keeps the ball moving uh, back out to the other side. There was one where he just popped it over. Hansen then was all alone in the center uh, and scored a goal. Really impressive first half. I, th- I think they, like, full credit to Egypt, they did whatever they could to, to kind of make a game of it. They never let Denmark completely run away with it. They didn't never, like, stretch the lead to, to 9, 10, 11 goals and... Uh, There'll be some positives there for the Egypt side. It's, uh, I think Egypt got kind of shell-shocked at the start of this game. And they just, they were fighting back for a losing battle for the whole game. And they did a pretty commendable job to even get within five at the end. It was just that first half. And in addition to that attack, the one problem that Denmark have had in this competition was the defense. And that was Nikolai Jakobsen. Basically, that was his anger towards the team after the Croatia game and the USA team, USA game. And then they just came out firing. It was incredible. 
Um, they were just really up for it. They're really aggressive. They were stopping Egypt from doing anything because Egypt liked to kind of pass the ball around and make moves with some skillful players in a bit of space. They just didn't get that at all. And it was tough for them to fight back. But I still have a little thought in my head about Henrik Mulgore. I think Henrik Mulgore might not be exactly what he used to be because we see it in Albor as well. I don't know, Brian, as a defensive specialist uh, analyst, what, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Henrik Mulgore leading this defence? Yeah, he's looking a bit sheepish, isn't he? Looking a bit off the pace. He needs to, he needs to get, get uh, Adrian Shippos on the, on, the, on, the, on the blower, get some words of advice, like, because uh, he's fed. But I can't believe that Denmark haven't even used their secret weapon properly yet. Which one? What's their secret weapon? Well, they have. He's, he's been no, he's been on for a few minutes, like, but he's been, you know, he's been like, I'll wait now for the semi right. of the final. Mads <laughs> Mensa Larson. <laughs> he had a. I saw him a few times on TV, and I was like, I forgot he was he even had here. Had a total of fifty-two seconds on court uh, against Egypt. That I mean, that does show you how how far the the Danish backcourt has come um, when uh, he barely gets a look in. With Mulgar, is there, do you think that's why Kirkaluka is being brought into the squad? He and then he actually came on and got a two minutes in in his first defensive action. So if he's the solution, maybe that caused, that's a bit of trouble for Denmark. But I don't know. I I do think that's a bit of a weakness. We've seen Mulgar. I, I think he's part of the reason why Albor's defense isn't hasn't been good this season. You know. They're so reliant on him and they're probably used to him being the rock in defense, kind of cleaning up any issues that might happen. Especially when you do have um, Giesel and uh, Putlik playing. You know, you can only really take one of them off for defense. And and if you have Hansen as well, you're not going to take the whole backcourt off for defense. So two or at least one of them is going to be on the court and maybe Kirkaluka as a defensive option it, it kind of to replace um, uh, Giesel and then Lauga being the, the great defender to back up Putlik um, is kind of the reasoning behind it. But I think they were just, I can only imagine the expletives that Nikolai Jakobsen was shouting at his center block. Poor Lucas Jorgensen was probably crying in the corner. He didn't even get on in this game because <laughs> the fear he put into them. <laughs> that was after a player of the match performance uh, the other day. <laughs> All on attack, though. That's enough on Denmark now. Come on, let's move on. No, but so we say for that, I mean, I don't think we have a whole lot to say about Hungary, do we really? Uh, for that game, I think it's fair to say we're all, we're all imagining a 6-8 to eight goal win probably for Denmark, no? <laughs> it is Hungary. Yeah, so yeah, expect expect the opposite. With, that's, that's a good rule to have with Hungary. <laughs> exactly. Which I've learned. Yeah, hey, their, their attack looked really good the last couple of games. Uh, they hit the 40 goal mark last time. Yeah, with Mikler in there, with uh, Lekoy in the centre-back position. The big boys, Bodo, Banhidi, and Shin. Look, they've got they've got players, and uh, they may not have excited us, but as we have learned, it's not about the players that excite us that make for a good hungry team. It's about just players somehow getting the job done. Uh, they have they have it. They've yeah, done that- it in knockout games against Denmark in the past at the World Championship, yeah. but no, I don't think they so. Have. I would I would fancy Denmark to maybe not six or eight, but four or five. Shall we stay in Stockholm then with Sweden and Egypt? What do you make of that now? I think it's, again, probably (laughs) 
like it's very very difficult to envision uh sweden not overcoming egypt but i mean i think sweet egypt sweet egypt <laughs> egypt <laughs> egypt today were a bit were a bit overwhelmed by the whole occasion i mean that, that was that was a home game for denmark and uh they might have. They might be a bit more battle hardened coming into the next one against Sweden. Hey, Alex, a couple of days ago, you were, you know, you were feeling good about Egypt. Is that feeling gone now, coming up against Sweden, or is what inspired you still there? I'm still with Egypt here. I, I think it's going to be a really, really close game. I, I, again, as I said, I think they just got shell shocked by an incredible Denmark first 15 minutes and the, they were just never going to climb out of that hole. Um, Sweden don't do that as much. Sweden like a battle. They, they've been really good, but you know, they're not, they don't slice through teams the same way that Denmark do. And I think it would be a pretty slow game between Sweden and Egypt. Both of them like to kind of slow it down, pass the ball around the backcourt, looking for space a little bit of movement and i think that plays into egypt's hands i'm still i don't know why but i'm i'm, I'm not convinced by sweden chris convince me <laughs> why sweden are gonna win I, I something just i don't know alex sweden have shown the the most all-round squad in this championship so far they have literally beaten every team one way or another not always easy but by not caring about who's on the court Glenn Solberg has actively taken out the best player, the player of the match every single time has been dropped for the next game. This is how confident he is in his squad. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny, funny little way they've gone about it, but it's worked out. You know, they, they took out their best right back, uh, Lagergren. They took out Palica out of the squad completely for the Portugal game, and they still came through with the win. You know, he, he's just, every single player has had except for Frederick Pedersen, has had a lot of time in the court. You say there that they haven't sliced teams apart, but I think every single match they've won has been a 10-minute spell where they've done exactly that, where they've like they've decided, okay, this is the time we, we step up a gear uh, and they start to slice teams apart. There's every single example of teams not even like making mistakes, but if you miss a shot, Sweden will go down the other end and beat you on a fast break. Uh, and that, you, know, you think about Ekberg, uh, Daniel Pedersen, Hampus Vanna, and Lucas Pellas, four amazing wingers who've done that. Gottfriedsen has picked his moments to show up. Klar has come in and filled in the rest of the time. Eric Johansson is just getting better and better with every game. And uh, yeah, it's... They have all the tools. All right, Chris. Have, I, right, conv right. have I convinced you yet? Don't beat him to death. Don't... Christ. Yeah, it's like we're hammering the point on. I don't know. I, oh I, I, you haven't convinced me. You've just said a lot of good things. You just see it. It's like all these good things. I haven't heard a great thing uh, coming out of your... You know, those 10-minute spells. That's good. Isn't that how they won the Euro last year? It was, yes. <laughs> but... <laughs> Egypt weren't in the Euro. So. Yes. But I do think it's a very good sign when you look at their top scorers in every game. I think Vanna was joint top scorer for two of the games and for every other game then yeah. they've had a different top scorer like which not all other teams can say. If you look at Germany for example I think Knorr was top scorer in four of those games so they were reliably heavily on one player but Sweden have so many people to call upon which is just 
Yeah, which is good if one of them isn't isn't firing. Yeah, it's the thing that we always talk about as a negative side for teams, or we're worrying about teams not being able to deliver once player X doesn't have a good game. That's not a problem for Sweden because they have player Y and they have player Z. So that's that's the big thing, I think, for me. And uh, that should do the job against Egypt. Egypt will make it a bloody tough game, yeah. Mm. I think it'll be... a. You know, two or three goal game. Uh, I hope it's close as well. Uh, I hope Egypt can can do themselves proud, but I think it'll be a quarterfinal exit once more. Yeah, uh, I think I, I can see the game going a little bit like the Sweden-Portugal game, which was yeah. a slog for Sweden. It was tough. Um, and Portugal just w- weren't good enough uh, uh, in the end. They... Uh, Again, there was a 10-minute spell where Sweden ripped them apart. Uh, But Portugal managed to fight back out of that, almost. Um, But I can see a similar game unfolding between Egypt and Sweden, where Egypt do slow it down. They kind of get these... Egypt get a lot of these deflected shots, uh, post-contact shots. But they do it constantly, and they're shooting some of the best percentages. Their whole backcourt, except for Ali Zion, is is really firing in this in this championship. So, I think it'll be a tough one. Of course, I see Sweden as the favourites, but I, I think it'll it could be a really close game. You know, it could be another dramatic penalty shootout, which oh, Egypt go out on. Imagine. That would be heartbreaking. Uh, flying <laughs> kung fu save by Palika from a penalty. <laughs> Yeah, especially with, I, I saw, I, I couldn't find it in the game itself though, but I when I, I was switching back and forward between uh, the Denmark um, and Germany-Norway game, and Yaya uh, Eldera was off on the bench, icing his fingers. Like, it looked like he dislocated a finger or something, but I didn't see it. But I don't know if, if you saw what happened to him there, but he didn't play the rest of the game then. So hopefully... It'll take more than that to, to keep Yaya out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just because uh, we mentioned Iceland and, and then being knocked out a quick mention for Portugal who if it were not for that really controversial penalty that they conceded against Brazil in the first game of the main round they'd be the team in the quarterfinal right now and a big shout out particularly for me to Rui Silva who was amazing against Sweden in that last game like, yeah. good, like he had a performance I haven't seen from him in a couple of years that was wonderful he's had a great tournament again which is a huge surprise because he, he has been terrible um for Porto well, he hasn't been terrible but he's just not what we're used to seeing from Rui Silva but at least uh our friend uh, Miguel Martins lived up to his club form and was pretty terrible uh, in yeah. his champion I can't, I can't defend well. him anymore anyway <laughs> and uh, I was talking to our friend of the podcast uh, Marcio Menino and he says oh, I'm done with handball now after those results for Portugal so he's not watching any more of the world championship oh, after that heartbreak Marcio Marcio uh, I do have to say we don't talk about referees too much in this podcast we don't like to um, single them out but I actually you know uh, those two kind of crucial games uh, Portugal versus Sweden and Portugal versus Brazil were refereed both by the Bonaventura um, sisters. And I think things did fall against Portugal in both of those games. I think there was mistakes. Again, nothing, um, nothing malicious here. I think there was just mistakes at crucial times 
Um, I'm not talking about the penalty um, at the end, uh, just generally in the end of those games where there were some mistakes by that fell against Portugal, and I can actually understand how um, the Portuguese fans may be angry with these results. Uh, again, it's not a nothing malicious there, but it's just the the bad luck you know, that that plays into handball as well. Luck is part of the game, and in this tournament, it seemed to kind of fall on the wrong side for them yeah we've times. all been there you know we've all had the, these things happen against our teams and yeah it is difficult to to get over very quickly and it's difficult to look at it as a you know falling in one side of the corner or the other so yeah understandable that the the portuguese are pissed off at the moment should we move on to the the poland side of things uh the most recent game that uh decided quarterfinalists germany against norway you know, not that I'm taking delight in Germany's pain or anything, but like the fact those last 10 minutes where they just completely bottled it was pretty funny. I think Germany won't be, I mean, too, I mean, of course, you'd be disappointed with the last 10 minutes. But I think having come up against a keeper like Bergerud, who saved, well, I have to look this up now, it's a 56% or something like that. I need to should check this really. 55%. That's, that's an insane game. So I think they'd be looking at that going, okay, I'm glad we're playing against France now and not coming up against Paris de Vargas because they'll be so... They'll have such <laughs> trauma after that, after all the shooting. And they'll be thinking, look, Gerard can have a good game, but you know Paris de Vargas will have a good game. So at least they're thinking, well, at least we might be able to get some of our shots in because, yeah, I mean, like, that's just... Uh, I wouldn't like to be in the, maybe in the dressing room afterwards with uh, with uh, Gisa's son, but... Um, yeah, it, it, I will say this. I think... It's pretty unbelievable how we've gotten very used to Yuri Knorr being so good for Germany already that you almost feel like you don't need to bring it up that he's just become he's been so almost so reliable for for most of the games that I've seen him in anyway and he really has kind of just completely cemented his name on that center back position and without Germany without Knorr or Knorr in there they are a, a completely different outfit. And it's a, it's, a bit, it's a breath of fresh air for us neutrals to watch Germany now and not have Philip Weber playing in centre-back all the time. Uh, who's <laughs> Philip, Philip Weber is a fine player, don't get me wrong, but uh, Jürgen Knorr is just a different level. I mean, he's just he's a really incredible uh, centre-back player and just adds... Yeah, I, I feel like that's, that was kind of Germany's downfall to an extent as well in the, as the game wore on. I like uh, For context here, Germany were 25-24 up into the final 10 minutes. And they conceded four goals in a row. And there was a point there. So I think Yuri Knorr was like eight from nine originally and then ended up eight from 13. And there was towards the end there, the whole, there was like almost three German line players in there. Everyone, like all the defenders, all the attackers were in this like circle in the center of the court and just waiting for Yuri Knorr to take the shot. And there was one time where he, you know, it's like, okay, literally nobody's going to do something here. Took the shot and was parried away by Bergerud. One time earlier in the second half, same thing happened, but he scored. And he looks over to the bench and he shrugs. He's like, what are we doing? Like, what? what's the plan here? You know? <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's great having him because when he when teams stand off him and he... And he, he seems to have all the time in the world and, and scores these goals. It's It's fantastic. But if there's no plan, then they're in trouble. Can I just say that he is the best standing 
player I've ever seen. The things he can do just literally standing on the nine meter line. And for some reason, people are just like, I think it's, it's ingrained in handball players' brains that if a player is kind of, is not moving fast, then you, you don't step up on him. And he, he's able to just get to the nine meter line and just wait there and make some decisions. And he has an unbelievable standing shot that comes with no momentum. It's literally, he's just standing there and unleashes an underarm that that beat um Norway continuously in the in that first half um or he just gets it to the line and it's so strange actually but he's incredible at it but um I, I agree yeah what where what can they do what's their other options I think that's the problem they don't have an option it was the same in the Serbia game you remember and if it wasn't for Joel uh Berlin wasn't it? Uh, the, yeah, their, their keeper there who had an absolutely incredible finish to the game. I think Serbia would have beaten them as well. And it was very similar-esque that the, it was like the last 10 minutes. It was kind of like, why is he still playing Jorik Knorr? He's clearly tired here. And it's like, he's so good when he can play for 45 minutes or whatever. But then I feel like maybe um, Giza Sun thinks they don't really have an option B or someone who was as good but it does seem a bit wild to throw, almost throw away games like that. Or yeah, did they did throw away the game today, didn't they? Lukovicka came in, uh, scored a couple of goals. Then he got himself a director at card. Um, <laughs> Germany played well for the most part. And, and I honestly believed when they went that one goal up that they, they had full control. But then that was what is so dramatic about it. They they totally froze uh, in attack. And it was, it was bizarre to see. Norway again... Well, first of all, Bergerud coming off the bench at 55% saving. That's a couple of big games in a row for him now. And that's that's been a problem for Norway over the years, not trusting the goalkeepers. But again, using the bench really well, Sander Overjordet had played six minutes in this championship before today. He came on, played eight more minutes and scored three goals. So a guy who just hasn't been used they, they were waiting for the right time to put him in trusted him and Eric Toft enough to play together for about five minutes in that first half as well and, and things didn't go to shit so uh, it's yeah it's refreshing to see you know Sanders Argerson only playing 35 minutes and people like uh, Joran Johansson coming in five goals for him today uh, Christian O'Sullivan is even scoring goals the whole backcourt uh, just doing the business and yeah, it's it's looking quietly good for Norway. And I know Alex has a lot invested in this happening. And they once again come up against Spain in the quarterfinal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a classic! Oh, an absolute classic. I wonder if uh, Spain threw the game against France because they knew that Norway were going to win. But that, that point about um, Norway rotating the squad, I think we, we talked about it in our last podcast, but it was really obvious in the game against Germany. And this whole tactic of Sagesen being ready for the end of games. He basically, he played at the start and then didn't really play in the first half. He He was just sitting. And then he did come in and score a couple of goals it it has worked for them i think there's probably a really good atmosphere in the team i don't know i'm not i haven't heard much from the norwegian media to say that but when everyone's playing everyone's getting a chance and everyone's doing well 
that can only just kind of build a team up that you know you just have everyone raring to go for a game not the the eight players that used to play for Norway for you know 50 55 minutes um so there there's something nice there and i don't know i i think there's a similar feeling to this the swedish team um that my kind of negative feeling that i have against the swedish team of it's all a bit too spread out what's it's it's too calculated. I, I want I want Sagason scoring ten from thirteen. That's what I want to get really <laughs> hey, excited. If that doesn't happen against Spain, then we can we can say it was too calculated. But if Sagason finally feels fresh for a knockout game against Spain, then we know that uh, that they've done the right thing. Now, for me, this is the uninformed part for me because the two teams that I've seen the least of, due to my working on the same day every single day, is Spain and France. I watched that Spain versus France game and it was a bit strange because it felt like Spain really did throw the game at the end or at least they didn't you know they didn't really play Alex Dushabayev at the end basically they they Mr. Clutch wasn't called in for the clutch moments um which is a which I found a bit strange I wonder if it's Spain's way of yeah let's say getting this squad into the tournament a little bit more um but again their attack just does not inspire me it really i don't know it their defense is what like france kept taking a lead and then uh spain would go on a kind of a run of three steals or turnovers with fast breaks or second wave fast breaks to get themselves back into the game and that happened a couple of times um but in their like set attack, it wasn't working, and you know, you have like Daniel Dushabayev, one from four, Garcianda, three from ten. Like, what what's what's going on there? It's it's not uh, it's not great. I, and I think they without Alex Dushabayev being at his absolute best, they struggle and they continuously rely on the defense. Um, and yeah. I d- I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm really not convinced um about about the Spain team and I you know, I think Norway are pretty clear favorites going into that game. I didn't see the the France Spain game, but I did see Spain playing against Slovenia and that was a that was a decent game up until about the for the last 10 minutes and then the Spanish defense just kind of really then tightened everything up and Slovenia really struggled um they just looked a bit small all of a sudden and i mean yeah you're gonna with spain it's just the classic you're gonna have a really really strong defense but i think i'd probably agree with alex as well it's when you're looking for people like danny dushabayev to start smashing it in attack or you're hoping for that to happen for the tactic to get going Kenyelas is good still but i definitely passed his best so there's a lot of old guys and a lot of question marks in their attack there that I I think Norway could could definitely do a job on them. You have to remember that defensively, um, they're also missing two of their best defenders, but those are wingers. That's mm-hmm. Alex Gomez and Aita Arino. They're two with that kind of Spanish style of defense. The activity from those wing players is so crucial 
And while they do have plenty of experienced heads there and a few young guys, um, uh, actually, the was it Daniel Fernandez had a really good game against France. He was thrown in there on the left wing. He scored seven from eight. Um, he's just 21 years old. And on the other side, Odriozola has had a really good tournament. But when, again, it, when the get, games get tighter and there's a need, when they're relying on their defense and their fast break to win this game, going from Alex Gomez to Ferran Sole is a big difference. You know, that's as big of a difference as like, you know, Sanders Sagasen to Goran Sugor. You know, it's, you know, that I think we don't appreciate just how incredible um, those wingers and especially Alex Gomez are for Spain. And I think, yeah, right now I just, they need a perfect performance to win uh, against Norway. And I think, they need to continue having perfect performances and incredible goalkeepers to uh, prog- progress further in the competition. Yeah, I guess that's the big variable, isn't it? The goalkeeper department. As you said, uh, Paris of Vargas is somebody that nobody wants to come up against. He didn't play against France, but you can almost be guaranteed that he or Corrales could put up a 40% game. You can't guarantee the same from Norway. That could always be the difference. Yeah, do you think Bergerud has like he's used up his big games because nah, he kind of has no. he's a he's a three and five kind of guy. He'll have three big games in five, and they might be three in a row, but they might land in some other fashion. And I think he's coming up to the save. Ross is pretty good now as well. You know, he could also have some big games. He is a bit of a streak merchant. Actually, they're both kind of streak merchants, but they've often then peaked too soon. That's the problem. And then we came down to the final or semi-finals and past tournaments is when they've kind of fallen off. I think it's it's a bit refreshing for me to see Norway coming into these knockout games now with just a different style of winning. That it's not loads of goals and then kind of foot off the brakes where it's more like they've either come from behind or if it's been very close for the whole game and then um, pushed on for the win, which is going to give you a different type of confidence going into these last few games now, which I think could be very beneficial. And if, if Berger is at home watching this thinking, oh God, all I had to do was rest some players and uh, switch it up a bit. And I could have been, I could have coasted it a bit more. World yeah. champion. <laughs> maybe he'd be kicking himself. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a trend that I just thought about. Um, sorry, that this is a completely different point. <laughs> but I was thinking about it. While you're it's past talking. midnight, Alex. Do you want to go down that rabbit hole? <laughs> Didn't you have a stats game for us at some point? And we have a stats game to, to okay. lighten up the mood. <laughs> it's, it's felt like this tournament, and I think some of this is this criticism of the main round that we've seen, that you know, there's a lot of these games that don't matter, and to date there's been such a mix, but Every single team has completely rotated their squads. They've really spread it out. France have had two games where every single court player has scored a goal. Um, every team has gone for that tactic. I think they they learned from Sweden pretty much um, in the last Euros that that's, that's the way to go. And every team has, comp- except for Germany, who've just relied on a couple of their players. But um, every let's say favored for the championship has completely um used their squad and it almost feels like we're going into these games and we don't know what to expect 
we don't know which players are the ones that are going to really step up, which ones we're going to be looking at. Or if, as you said, you know, Glenn Solberg is just going to take out his best players in the quarterfinal and the semifinal again. Is that the new tactic? To me, that is a little bit sad. I, I want superstars. <laughs> I hope they show up. Uh, the knockout rounds are different. Uh, I think that's when, you know, you can go balls out for the last week, um, particularly in the semifinals onwards. Now there's no more second chances. You also don't know which players are going to return for teams. We, we mentioned Lauga, another one, Deacon Mem. Uh, he was an uncertainty in the last podcast. But then he came, four goals, five turnovers. He's back. <laughs> but good to see. And uh, and perfect timing as well for this French team that uh, are have probably had the the coziest of journeys of all, uh, despite what seemed like was going to be a... Uh, well, they had a, a tougher preliminary round, I think, than they had a main round. Is that fair to say? They, they, they were able to chill out for the main round um, and then... Yeah, they look good against Spain. Yeah, I think DKMM is huge for them. Uh, I, I think that's it. I, I think he's the player that they need to get going and get him comfortable. You know, five turnovers is not a uh, a pretty stat line, and that could that could just be the first game back from injury kind of uh, ring rust. But uh, yeah. hopefully, he gets that rust off for that quarterfinal, and I think that quarterfinal between France and Germany is wide open for me. Perhaps the two best teams on one side of the draw uh, in terms of the, the quarterfinals in Sweden, as in Denmark and, and Sweden, they're favourites to win those. The other two quarterfinals are much closer because the we don't know exactly what's going to come from them. And I think they should be really good games. I just hope if Germany lose, they don't lose because Jori Knorr is on the pitch looking tired for the last 10 minutes again. Because if that happens, I think it'll look, just look absolutely ridiculous. Three games and one tournament where it looks like the same thing happening three times. But I, yeah, I think it's going to be France, uh, France, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. That's that's the semi-finals. Nothing, nothing crazy. I'm afraid. I fully agree. <laughs> my my initial predictions. Back in Germany, right? I'm still back in Germany. I I think Sweden, and uh, Norway and Denmark. Yeah, that that will that will still leave room for my prediction of. Norway, Denmark, and Germany to get the medals. Can't wait for the podcast now yeah. when we've when it's, it's Germany, Egypt, Spain, and Hungary in the semifinals. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that I think Egypt um, could cause an upset uh, against Sweden. They could all somehow cause an upset. That's why they're the teams here. They've all done something to get here. Although the whole championship has been, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the format. Um, I did say in our Discord that I would provide my quick solution for a world championship and oh, how yeah. you can format it. I'll do it super quick, right? Go. Same amount of teams, so we don't lose any of that thing. We have the same group structure, right? Eight groups of four. However, after that, we go straight into knockouts. First place in every group, go into the last 16. And then second faces third from another group in the first knockout round. Fourth goes to the President's Cup. NFL style. NFL style. So 24 teams still progress to the knockout rounds, but not into a main round. And then it's second v third. 
Someone gets knocked out. The winner goes through to the last 16. Knockout, 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 knockout. You don't lose too many matches overall for like the winning team. The middle teams stay in the championship for long enough. Still the President's Cup. TV's happy. Knockout rounds every single time. And every single group game matters because everyone wants to finish first or second or third. And uh, yeah, there's no coasting. There's no resting Andreas Palica. I like it. There you go. You I, I do it? like it. I, I also like your d- idea from a few years ago, playing the President's Cup first, but um, that was a while oh, ago. Yeah. That was a... Uh, yeah, as like a semi... Yeah. Well, I mean, people have already qualified for it, but this is for... You'd be qualifying for the main round. Like two. Yeah. 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 I think that one works a little bit better on the women's side um, as kind of a... To get teams into the competition. I think on the men's side now, yeah, there's uh, there's less of a gap between first to fourth. There might be one blowout, but it won't be, mm. you know... There won't be too many 20-goal blowouts uh, unless you're Uruguay. Anyway, <laughs> stats time. Uh, Rex, who wants to play a game to finish the podcast? And finally, we have enough stats to actually you know, make some conclusions. So it's always um, difficult in the first three rounds, and it's more difficult with weaker teams. But uh, we played this game pretty much in the women's euros and this is your so i've got four categories of players i've got expensive players i've got room to improve in the sweet spot and over performers so we got four categories there i can give you the the breakdown all of i've focused on backcourt players these are just all backcourt players and Eventually, I have to sit down with Julian Rooks and nail down these numbers and not just pluck them out from thin air as I do in every championship. But I have gone <laughs> back to the women's Euros and tried to keep it a similar level. Okay. But, so basically, all of these players have scored 20 goals, at least 20 goals in the competition or just under 20 goals. So that, that's the first cutoff where i'm not talking there's also a little um little line there for players who we want to see more of who haven't scored 20 goals but have great Mm -hmm. percentages but that's that's an afterthought but you need to be a high volume shooter to to get into this game the expensive players are if you're shooting less than 55 percent that's expensive for your team you're taking a lot of shots and you're scoring just about over half of them. That's an expensive player. Then in the sweet spot, I'll go to that next. That's 60 to 65. That's You're taking a lot of shots and you're scoring 60 to 65% of that. That is, that's nice. That's where you want to be. The room to improve one is a little bit finicky. It's kind of 55 to 60%, but that can be, depending on the amount of shots you take, you know, a 57% might be good if you're on the lower level and at that level, maybe that's not good enough. And then overperformance in this championship, there's quite a lot of them. Um, and that's over 65% shooting. Um, I think that kind of, it, it's due to uh, some of these games against smaller teams uh, where, you know, the top players can score mm-hmm. quite a lot. But what I'm going to say the way the game is going to go, I'm going to basically name out players and you're going to tell me which of the categories they landed. 
So okay. expensive, room to improve, in the sweet spot, overperformer. So I can start with a very easy one, Matthias Gitzel. I'd say he's probably 70-something percent, probably high 70%. So I'm going to say, yeah, he's overperformer then, huh? Yeah, he's, he's at over 80%. He's ridiculous. He's always ridiculous. He overperforms. And actually, to to his standard, he's kind of right about there to his normal standard, which is just insane. But I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of a harder one. How about Eric Johansson? Chris? I would say he is in the sweet spot. He is in the sweet spot. He's got 25 goals at 64%. Mm. A very tasty 64%. Yeah. I think he was a bit more expensive in the opening games. That brought him down. I'd say he'd be overperforming since round three. Yeah, he's really grown into the competition. And uh, yeah, he's looking really, really good. For you, Brian, I've got uh, one of your favorite players, Thibault Briet. Or Thibault Briet. Where do you think he is? Oh god, I, I haven't really seen a whole lot of France playing, uh, but at the bits that I did see, he was coming on very over eager and getting sent off a lot. So I'm going to say that translates also to his shooting. So I'm going to say probably around fifty percent. He's having a storm of a tournament. Okay. He scored twenty goals, just got in. But he's shooting 69%. Not bad. So he's in the sweet sweet spot. spot. Mm. Right in the sweet spot. Um, Here's a a difficult one. Yuri Knorr. It's a room to improve. He's... Yuri Knorr is an expensive player. Oh! And also, just to say, all of this is uh, excluding seven meters. So Mm. that... uh, that's right. that pads uh, around the place. So this is just outfield shots. Yurik Noor has scored 23 outfield goals and is shooting just under 54%. Ooh. So that, okay. that kind of, that, um, yeah, that tells you that uh, kind of what we talked about, that it feels like at times that he's having a really good amazing tournament not really good tournament like he's really dominating he feels like he's getting games of like eight from ten eight from nine but then he does get tired and it, it becomes expensive and mm-hmm. could be dangerous for germany i think also when you're doing that much for your team as well you can obviously you can fall into that category a little bit easier true and i think to i'm gonna just shout out i i've focused on players that are in the quarterfinal for this game but I'll give a shout out to players who didn't make the quarterfinal. And it kind of tells you, I think that's the importance. You can be a, if you're, all of these players are going to be the main guy. They're the guy who's going to take all of the shots. If you're, if you're scoring more than 20 goals in competition so far, you're the main guy for your team. And it's the difference between someone like Eric Jonsson, who's in the sweet spot and Simon Sichko, who's got 30 goals, but is shooting 53%. And his team suffers because of that. They're, he's just not good enough to like get them over the line. Other players, Branko Vujovic, 30 goals, 55%. Um, Philip Teleski, 47%. 
Andre Gomez, 54%. So these are like, they're really good players and they have a lot of responsibility for their team, but they're just not good enough to get their team to the next level. And that's the definition of an expensive player. You want that to be your top, top star. And uh, the most expensive player of all is uh, Abu Fafana with a 41% shooting rate, um, 19 goals from 46 shots. That is... uh, that's pretty expensive. Abu had two big games, the games they won. That's what matters in the end. Uh, That's true. Besides that, it didn't really work out for him. Uh, what's just out of interest, if you have it in front of you, what is, he may not even have scored 20 from an open play yet, Sander Sagerson. Sander Sagerson is overperforming like crazy. So I have to update this with the last game, but... Uh, He's basically scored 25 goals now at uh, 75%. Wow. So that he's is, having a... He'd never done that before. Yeah. He scored more before, but it's always been 55. That's, uh, yeah, wow. Other players in the overperformers are Jim Godfrinson, uh 79%. Uh, just 19 goals. You, you, you know, you might want that to be uh, a little bit higher. Um then Simon Putlik is just, he's Gidsil 2.0. He's got 28 goals at over 80%. So. Oh my God, from <laughs> left back. It's from ridiculous. left back. <laughs> and the difference between Putlik as well, because he's a backcourt shooter. You know, Gidsil is always breakthrough. But Putlik also takes those nine meter shots and he's right up there. Uh, Miguel Hansen must just be like falling asleep with a smile on his face these days. Just like, ah, thank God. Oh, thank God. I've still got a few years left like this. <laughs> so, speaking of Miguel Hansen. Like, he's probably in the sweet spot in terms of his shooting. So, Miguel Hansen is having a ridiculous tournament. You know he can just turn it up because he's shooting better from outfield than he is from the seven-meter spot. So, he has now uh, 20 goals from outfield at an insane 80%. And from the seven meter line, he's at a measly 77%. Yeah. Wow. What a time to be alive for Miguel Hansen. Miguel Hansen 4.0 with, uh, with the, the addition of Simon Putlick. Okay. Uh, any more on the, on the stats there, Alex, before we wrap up? Guess Daniel Dushibayev's shooting percentage 58. Brian? 52. 50 straight. For Daniel Dusabayev. Oh, yeah. Scores one out of two shots. And he takes quite a lot of them. And Spain are relying on him. <laughs> so that's oh, why I don't think that they're going to go extremely far in this competition. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Alex. Uh, and thank you, Brian. We'll be back with a, a bonus episode after Spain knock Norway out of the quarterfinals. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely going to happen now. Uh, But uh, thank you all for listening. Enjoy the quarterfinals and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.